Okay, let's sorry. let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for uh, letting us worship you. Uh, God, thank you for uh, just being able to be here. This room is just such a perfect size um, uh, for us at this time, and uh, we're overwhelmed with who you are. As we continue to learn how to draw close to you, um, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the last few weeks, um, we've been going over the series on discipleship. How do we grow closer uh, to God? What does that look like? We talk a lot about it in church. We come and talk about it. And let me just go through. Remember the first two weeks Stephen talked, he talked about the first week, he talked about entering the kingdom today. How does, does that really work? Is it just lip service? It's just a few people. And then the second week, he kind of answered it. Like, how do you become a student of teacher Jesus? You know, kind of an intern. What would that look like? And then he introduced us to kind of like why we do spiritual practices. Almost like doing practices on any sports team you might have been on or any musical instrument. Um, the more that you master some of these things, all of a sudden in the game, they, they all kind of come to life. And he made a really important point, which I like to revisit. They're not an end to themselves. But sometimes in our life, what we find in, in this area is we kind of have a habit we form with God, and then we many times leave those things. We can leave other things out, and it's a way to round us out. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about from the Shema, from Deuteronomy, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the first, that first week, we talked about loving God with your mind. How do you become spiritually minded? And how spir be spiritually minded is a transformative process. And in the slide I've used, probably overused, is that bonded set versus a centered set. But the idea is that if we're not, if we're not focused on Scripture and letting God's narrative be the overwhelming narrative in our life, it's easy to become overwhelmed. It's easy to become depressed. It's easy to go into nihilism. Nothing really matters. And it's also easy in our faith to kind of, instead of, instead of walking straight towards God, to kind of be focused towards God, but, you know, kind of miss it, kind of go to the left, if you would, or to the right. It's easy to do. And so how important it is to surround ourselves with, with, with uh, God's word so we're always kind of lined up, you know, true north. Last week, then, we talked about loving God with our souls. Like, how do you do that? How do you not just face God, but how do you move towards him? I think this is one of the challenges of the Western church. We all love, everybody's like, I love God, we love God. But if we're not moving towards him, we can actually fool ourselves. We can actually be moving away from him. But because we think, oh, I love God, I'm going in his direction, we actually don't enter into intimacy with him. We actually sometimes won't even obey him because we're not close enough to understand Right? And so how do you keep moving? So, we're, so we talked about how much fun and how, uh, how, things, uh, how obedience and following God is actually a, a key to this. It, it reminds me of a story I heard a friend tell, and they, they basically said they were from the East Coast and they were living, in, living here in California. And they said, here's the thing about California. They go, Californians are nice, but they're not helpful. People on the East Coast are helpful, but they're not nice, right? So here's the analogy that I heard. They go, in California, I'll get a flat tire in my car, and people in California will stop and go, oh, it's so bad. I feel sorry for you. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sad that you're really going through this. And they're not helpful, right? 
Like, I'm just so, so that can be our relationship with God, right? If we're not obeying God and moving. They go, people on the East Coast, they're not nice, but they're helpful. The pullover, what happened? You got a flat tire? Did you check the air? Right? Look at this thing. It's bald. Don't you, you can't drive a car like this. What are you, an idiot? Here, give me your tire iron, right? They get out, they jack, you know, they will actually change, help you change the tire. And he's like, here. Here's a, here's, a, here's a number to my friend Tony. I called him up. He'll put new tires on your car, and he's going to give you the good ones, okay? Okay, don't be stupid. Get out of here, right? So they, I'm over, I'm exaggerating. I don't know the East Coast guys. I met them. But the point being is that in our relationship with God, there's sometimes where our faith can be more like that person from California. Like, oh, yeah, God's great. We love him, but it's not helpful. And it's Jesus' illustration in obedience to how, you know, he sends two sons out into the field. One son says no, but he actually goes out. The other son says yes, but he doesn't go out. Who obeyed God? And so God goes, it's something happens. We have a doing faith. And, um, and, something, and that something happens with our souls when we, that God chisels into our soul, not through both loving him, through, through uh, transforming our minds, but also transforming our souls. Today, we want to talk about something else. It's Thanksgiving, it's, um, sorry, it's Valentine's week. And so let's talk about loving God with all of our hearts, right? Because there's going to be a tremendous amount of sappy things happening this week. <sighs> Today, we won't talk about that. But here's the question. Can you have... Can you have a loving, affectionate relationship with God? Can you move God out of a theory, out of a, out of a, um, you know, a prototype in our mind to having a place where you really feel like the Father is interacting with you, like he's with you? And that's not just a, it's not just a passing thought, but it's active. And it takes all those things. It takes God's word. It takes us actually obeying God. But when those things happen, all of a sudden, the God of the universe can become affectionate. Now, again, easiest thing to do is just to reduce God down to a friend. And then we, right, can take his advice or not take his advice. This is something different, loving God with all of our hearts. I'm going to read um, our key passage this morning, which is from Mark chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. The thing that we see here, this is really rich, but the thing we see in Jesus is that he has this rhythm. This is not the first time he does this. He is sneaking off to spend time with his father. Jesus, being perfectly God, has this perfect relationship with God. And so he hears him like in high definition, and he loves being with him. This is ultimately what heaven is, is we get to be with God in, you know, face to face. But Jesus has this relationship. So all the time we have these expressions, we see Jesus saying things like uh, the scripture describing it as Jesus knowing their hearts. Why? Because he had this 
this perfect relationship with the Father. So he was always asking him. So the first thing is this. We need to find a rhythm with God. We need to find a rhythm with God. Jesus always had this, this rhythm. And this is true of almost all of the people in Scripture that we look at and go, well, they were extra special. No, they were just, they were just ordinary people that found a rhythm with God. If we look at the slide of the spiritual disciplines that we've used, right? I want to revisit the, one of the first ones uh, in, this, in this point that, that our good friend Stephen came up with, which was Sabbath. Really finding a rhythm with God is really finding that Sabbath. If you're a soccer player, a basketball player, you know this to be true. Well, when do you rest? You don't go 100 miles an hour. You sprint, you sprint, you sprint, and then you sit back, and within 20 seconds, your heart rate catches up. And this is like, how do these athletes do it? Well, they, A, train their bodies, but B, they know, how to, they know how to go hard, and then they know how to cheat to find those times to rest. This is the same with us. That God wants us to find, um, to find a rhythm. Now, let me ask you this. I, 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 if you were to look at your life and said, do I feel like I'm sprinting all the time? Do you ever long for vacation? Because everything else just at times like, oh, it just is, it feels like it's always coming at you. What are your rhythms that you're actually allowing yourself to be fed? Um, from from um, the book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, here's a little test for you. Do you ever find yourself irritable, restless, emotionally numb, have out of order priorities? Uh, lack of care for your body, escapist behaviors, isolation. If you said yes to any of these, um, or that feeling like, yeah, I've had those tendencies, this is a huge warning light on the, you know, on the car dashboard that you need a Sabbath rest or a rhythm with God that allows you to breathe. God invites you. Remember Jesus' words? Come, take my yoke. My yoke is easy. I'm not going to demand things from you. God invites us into this. And I want you to think about this from, from let's just do the flyover in Scripture. Adam, Adam had a rhythm. Originally, when God created Adam, he had a rhythm of meeting with him in the garden. We know that because Adam heard God come into the garden after they had eaten. But you know that he gave him work. He gave him assignments. Right? In Genesis 5, it says, Enoch walked with God. He had a rhythm to walk with God. It said, Noah walked with God. And in Moses, it says, Moses met with God and spoke to him face to face like he would a friend. So we have the God of the universe who has everything, and yet... This is, this is something that he has offered his people. He is a personal God. If, um, if we look at Adam, and I, I always love the analogy, if you look at Adam, who Adam is walking in the garden, and then when Jesus comes, you know where Jesus' favorite place to meet the Father was? It was a garden. 
was always at the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you've ever been, somebody, I know some of you have been to Israel, you realize the Garden of Gethsemane was kind of up on the hill overlooking Jerusalem. And so it's really, it's, it's a beautiful picture. But he loved to meet with God there. Take his disciples. Hey, we're going to go meet with meet with God. So where is your place where you meet with God? And you realize that when, when God speaks to Jesus, when he comes down from, I mean, I'm sorry, not come down. When he, when his friends find him and they're like, we've been looking for you. I always think it's funny that Jesus in scripture doesn't answer the question. Well, I was just over here. He looks at them and says, says to them, um, we need to go someplace else now. And there's a couple times in scripture this happens where the disciples are like, this is going great. He goes, time to go. Why? Because he's meeting with his father and his father goes, we've accomplished this here. It's time to go here. How is God going to move you from one thing to another? He moves us when we're actually in conversation with him. So the closer we are, the easier it is to hear his voice. But if we don't have this place that we meet with God, if you don't have your garden, like where is that place for you? That you're like, I am going to, this is the place where I'm going to meet with God. You can experiment with it. I mean, you don't have to, if you don't, if you live in San Francisco, you do not have a garden. And if you do, that's amazing. But the fact is, is that, that um, there's some place that you find that you meet with God. Even Luke 5 says this, the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed from their sickness. But Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. We're followers of Jesus, and this was, right, this was absolutely his. He didn't do more homework. He didn't do more work. He actually stepped away to recharge the batteries to make sure that his connection with God was on track. And many times God would, we see that all throughout the New Testament. How do you find your place and make it your non-negotiable? Because what I find is the gravity of my life and me and my friends, I don't know if you find this, is that I do want to spend time with God, but life pours out on me every morning. You get up, the phone is already full. You know, if you have kids, good luck with that, right? It's just like, it's, it's the demands. And so it's, you're trying to get through everything to find some time to meet with God. And sometime what Jesus says is no, before anything else, I need to make sure that, that this time is the priority, right? And this is, it's the, it's the, um, in, in the law, it's called first fruits. The first and best is given to him. And there's something that happens, and it's a sacrifice. And you have to do this by faith. Because it's like, if I do this and I don't do this, my day's going to end up upside down, and I'm going to be chasing, you know, A, B, and C, and this is, I'm going to be late. There is, there is a section of this that's by faith, that when we choose to spend time with God and make it our top priority, we're going, God, now you've got to go ahead of me, right? And make the, and connect these things. And I have found that he does. I found that he does it on so many different ways. That when we give him that time, that he moves before us. We give him our first fruit, we die, uh, that first part of it, not, not the leftovers. That has to be the, that's, that's the place of, that is, a, that is a decision of deep faith to do that. So what would be your place? 
Let me ask you this. In the same way when we meet with God, there's all these things that happen. What was the best meal you had last year? Think about it. What was the best meal? Right. So I can think of a couple things that I had last year that were really good. Different restaurants we went out to. Right. Um, uh, some of them came with my time with Pastor Calvin in Hawaii. Um, but then if you said, if I said to you, that was great. What'd you have March 10th of last year? What was, what'd you have to eat? Most of us would, I don't know. Now I remember that day because it's my birthday. You might want to write that down, right? <laughs> what did you, but you, you, you go through it. Like, okay, so what'd you have, what'd you have April, April 17th? Most of us can't remember. Honestly, did everybody probably eat something on April 17th of last year? So sometimes what can happen is that, is that even though those meals weren't remarkable, they gave, you, they gave you the nourishment to get through. Imagine if you didn't have any nourishment during those times, what would happen? Okay? Okay, so you, you, you see the law pitch coming. Spiritually, what happens when you meet with God every day? You are nourished you get stronger, you're strengthened, his voice. When you make that the priority, once in a while, with God, you will have that extraordinary time. Like that unbelievable, like that was amazing. But a lot of weeks, it's sitting with God saying, I love you, here's my life, go before me, let me walk with you. It's just like our daily meals, it might not be sensational, but when you stack them up, Day after day, week after week, there is a force multiplier where all of a sudden there's your soul and your spirit and your thinking about God is transformed. So not only do we need to find that rhythm with God, that place that we could meet with him, the goal is to find intimacy with God. This is different about our faith. It's not... Right? There's a lot of there's a lot of religions or pseudo-Christian religions that don't stress intimacy with God. I've talked to my friends from other like beliefs systems, and I say you talk a lot about God like it's a way to order your life, which is right, which it can be. But I go, but this is what I don't hear as you talk about it. I don't hear you talking about how you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Where is that? And for us, it has to be the same thing. Like God is not a checklist. If you think of God, like what does he demand out of me? That's not it. He goes, I demand you. I want you. I created you. You see, God has personality. It's the first thing we, I think we, when we, we start thinking about it, we take out of the equation. That God somehow is impersonal. And yet he's overflowing with personality. We have personality because he has personality. And so we think that he does things the same way all the time. I love C.S. Lewis saying, God rarely does the same thing ever, right? So we think God being consistent in character does not mean that he's predictably boring in personality. He surprises us, okay? There's a twinkle in his eye, right? When he speaks, his voice is overwhelming, and yet, right, we never know what he's going to do next. This is the God that scripture describes. 
And it's usually the arguments that people outside of faith go, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense because they're looking for God to be some sort of, you know, you know, operating, you know, computer operating system, right? Always consistent, non-emotional, like, but what if God has amazing personality and meets you in ways that you couldn't, like, you really care about that? He's, 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 if he's really God, he's bigger, right? He's bigger than an endless universe. He cares about, he cares about the things, right? And we don't really become real, the person I believe God wants us to be, until we come back to him, right? It's the story of Pinocchio, right? Pinocchio, he's a wooden boy. He goes off to find his way, he, you know, all the dumb things that he runs into. And he doesn't become a real boy until he comes back to his father, right? Who's in the belly of a well, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a parable. But this is really what God does with us. This is what God does with everything, right? If you look at the creation story, God makes the first, the creation story, Christians debate it. It's, it's poetry. He creates the first day, the second day, the third day. Then he fills the first day. Then he fills the second day on the fourth. And then he fills the, f- the third day on the, on the sixth day. God makes things and then he fills them. And then what do we see spiritually that happens? Jesus goes, when you come and give me your life, then what will I do? I will fill you with the Holy Spirit. We become whole people when we allow God to fill us. And so this time, finding our own garden is letting God every morning say, God, fill me up. I got, I got nothing. I got no answers. I'm sad today. I'm worried. He says, great, give me all of that. Let me go. I need you to go before me. It's developing that conversation with God. So let me talk about a couple different ways as we're kind of go through and end our time. The first one is this, and we just talked about it. The first one of, of the practices, how do you finding intimacy with God? The first one would be prayer. And I want to echo what Stephen said, is that praying out loud is a game changer. Now, for some of you who write, I think writing down is the same thing. It's one thing to think something in our heads. When we say it, it becomes also real to us. It also helps you, practically speaking, it helps you stay focused. And there's something that happens when you say, God, I am really struggling. Like, okay, now I'm owning that. And I don't know why I've seen God tends to work when we, when we speak to him audibly out loud. Now, again, where's the appropriate place to do that? I'm not saying it's shouting it, right? Um, but the idea is that praying out loud. And then there's this other thing that we, we have is that um, many times we don't reason with God. If you look at the prayers in scripture, people reasoned with God. God, would you do this? Are you doing this? Do you love me? Do you love my children? Do you care about my career? Like you reason with God. Now, this is not being disrespectful. But it's in a way saying, God, you hold the universe. I believe all of this, and I don't understand. I need you to understand. I had this Old Testament professor. I think he was like 80. And he would, he'd lecture, and he, he had this, just, he had this, such this different relationship. And I remember one day in our class, it still stands out to me, and I only hear 40 years later, he goes, he goes, oh, he goes, you have to, you have to challenge God. 
he loves it. <laughs> He's like, he loves it when you lay out a fleece. And you do. I'm like, I've never heard any pastor say that. But it gave me that idea that God loves, loves us to be so honest that we go, God, what does this have to do? I'm going to leave the question out there because I believe in you. I'm placing it at your feet. And it's almost that understanding that we know that God won't be moved, but we have to come with everything we are to lay at his feet and not hold anything back. Because it's out of our love and respect that we pray with, we, we pray with that kind of honesty. Second thing is this, there's, there's, something, there's something about silence. Finding time to be quiet, not just to be quiet, to be quiet, to be quiet before God and let him speak. Again, this is another thing we see. Then God spoke, you know, when he, at many times when, when some of the prophets and some of the people were, were actually exhausted and worn out. And then all of a sudden God goes, you done? And it was the silence that God comes back and actually speaks with them. Right? The, um, the early church fathers used to use this, uh, this picture. They would take a cup of like water and back then water, you know, wasn't exactly the water that we have. It'd be murky. And he goes, when we, when we're silent with God, he goes, it's like taking, taking that glass and you can, you know, the water's not very clear, but when you let it set, all of a sudden, all the sediment goes down to the bottom and the water becomes clear. He goes, that's the advantage of taking time to be quiet. That's part of, it's part of what we, when we talk about fasting, part of that is kind of fasting and putting down that area of life so God can, can clarify, right, maybe even a, a portion of our life, whether that's giving up food, whether it's giving up part of media, whether it's giving up, you know, you know that rhythm in your life, purposely breaking it, saying, God, what do you want to do here? And then being quiet to listen for his voice. So there's Sabbath and silence, which, which are two different things, but there's also worship. So some people think, oh, worship is this formal thing. No, worship with you. This is what, this is what Paul says. And Paul's not, I, I never got the picture that Paul is this musical, you know, guy. Like, yeah, you know, Paul before he was, you know, he was in a band. It was not, I don't think that was Paul. But he does say this, let the message in, in Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with what? All wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. Almost like as we talk about surrounding ourselves with scripture, that we have the same thing, a rhythm of saying, having, having uh, wor worshiping God. Now, I won't go too deep into this, but there are some really good, different Christian music. There's a lot of really, you know, kind of Nashville-produced Christian music that I'm like, isn't this the same song that they produced like 10 years ago, right? It all kind of sounds the same. And some of you like that. I don't mean to, but, but, there, are, but there is music. And the great thing about having, um, having um, a, a younger daughter is she goes, Dad, you should listen to this or this. And I'm like, oh, these guys are good. And then you figure it out. But take some time. If you're, if you're one of the chosen ones that has like Apple and Apple Music, like you go on there and exper experiment, but you will find music. Like I have found some groups that just speak to me deeply. And I won't go through them, but uh, there's a lot of UK Christian artists that are just amazing. 
and uh, have a really different sound. But how do you fill your life instead of listening? You know, if you're driving, and first thing when you get up in the morning, as you're going to sleep at night, people singing worship and singing out loud. You're like, I can't sing. I go, I know, neither can I. But you'd be surprised what happens when you start singing. And do it alone first. Don't do it in front of people. I mean, yeah. And then the last thing is this. You, we need silence. We need worship. We need that to find our garden. But we also, in order to love God, we need a people. You know, so much of spirituality is it's not ascending to the top of the hill, right? In isolation. You knock off, you know, that picture that in order to be spiritual, you've got to, you know, devoid yourself from matter, from the world, so that I could actually commune with my higher self or whatever these people say. That's, that's not the God we serve. The Christian faith is we need to go deeper into our relationships. I've been using the term intentional, intentional um, relationships. But we need to surround ourselves with people. There's something that happens that God's voice becomes amplified when we're with others. And when you think about so many of the great things that have happened in our world, whatever little circle they're in, they've almost always happened with a circle of people that, that amplify each other. I was, in, I was in Oxford, England, and went to a pub called the uh, Eagle and the Child, and it's where C.S. Lewis used to meet with, with Tolkien and a handful of other writers every week. And, uh, and they have a little corner, you go sit in it, and you feel like, you know, I didn't become any better at writing. It was weird. I thought it would just by being there. But the fact is, is that, you know, you have that with, you have that in all of these areas in life, all these places in life where things have happened, and it's almost always a number of people. It's that group of people that amplify, you know, the message. But this is very, from the very beginning, this is how God works in our lives, right? Disciples were nothing, and they amplified each other, and they amplified that to where, right? They amplified Jesus' message. Being together was special. Who are those people? If, if I was to ask you, for many of you, what, what, are, what were those key times in your life that you felt extra close to God? Do you have any times when you felt that and you can go back? I guarantee you, there was probably a circle of people. Oh, when I was in college, I was on a missions trip. I was, whatever it was, it was almost every time that was, we're surrounded, we were surrounded by a people that amplified God's voice. And all of a sudden, I started hearing God's voice loudly. You, you, that doesn't happen by accident. That takes a little bit of commitment and sacrifice to make sure that you're checking, you're checking in. But those intentional relationships, right, they really make a difference. And in closing, this is God's desire for us. He wants to be close with you and me. Ultimately, his love for obedience is so that, is so that he, he can be close to you, not so he can control you. He doesn't get anything out of, out of it. But God's desire from the very beginning, and if you look at the narrative of Scripture, with Adam, he came, he was with him. And as the population grew, God wanted to be with the people. He creates 
the people, you know, he chooses, he, he chooses um, Abraham. He chooses Israel, changes, changes the name to Israel. And he says, this, you, you can, I will be your God, you will be my people. And you see that throughout all of the Old Testament. God, I want a people to myself. And still, and then through Jesus, he makes a way for us to be his people. That doesn't start after. That starts now. I want to meet with you. I want to walk with you. What's, you know, you know, when, <laughs> I heard one of my friends say, you know, the biggest, the, the biggest advantage, the most powerful thing um, for the world to hear is uh, to connect to God is God's people. They have been, the, for, for centuries, they've been the, his most powerful message. That an unselfish people that love like God does, people don't know where to put it. And they go, you know what the worst thing that God has ever heard is his people. <laughs> when they have been selfish, when they've used legitimate power to do what they want. And the way that I'm not doing it justice, but the way that they said it, I went, oh, how true that is. But the fact is, is that God calls us to be his people. The last... The end of uh, the, the end of Scripture in Revelations 21, it says this: I saw a new heaven. He says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away; there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, beautifully prepared as a bride dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look." God's dwelling place is now among his people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This starts, this is now. That God goes, I want you to be my people. I want to meet with you. Make it a priority. I have, that God wants to show up in our lives. And I guarantee you every step you take towards the Father, he will meet you there. Let's pray. Father, teach us how to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But thank you that you're a God who's full of personality. Thank you that you're a God who doesn't just desire our obedience, but that uh, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you that uh, you desire an intimate, affectionate relationship. And thank you that you modeled this not only through Jesus, but you made it possible through him. Would you give us a heart and energy to... Uh, for all of us to take a step or two to closer to you, to create our own place, garden with you. And Father, um, would you meet us there? Would you meet us there powerfully that we would long for it, that we would go to it? So many of us need to catch our breath. Um, many of us are discouraged. Um, but um, we know that... Uh, that as we draw close to you, that you take things that don't make any sense and you make them uh, and you give us peace and you give us direction.
Um, thank you that you are a rock and that you are, uh, that you never change. And thank you, Father, that, uh, that in you we find peace. And so uh, go before us this week, Father. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.